Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. friend and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast that tries to catch you up on the week if you have been too busy, if you simply have not had time or if you just haven't been in the headspace where you can take on what's going on in the world, which frankly is kind of understandable at the moment. I will do my best to update you. We're going to talk news. We are going to have a chat about periods actually is what our chat is about this week, menstruation. Um, because I realized when I posted last week that I am not at all connected to my cycle and loads of people replied and said the same that maybe it would be worthwhile. We're also going to chat celebrities and the world of entertainment. So it's all happening. First thing I want to say this week is thank you so much for all your feedback on last week's big announcement that we're separating the sections out into their own individual episodes. That is um, almost all of you were delighted with that. So I'm relieved and happy because obviously I want you to be happy. Um, and then there were a couple of people who had concerns and then their concerns were um, that they like to listen to everything all at the same time. And that's fine because obviously if you want to, you can still do that on a Friday. And then some people were like, well, where are the recommendations going to be? And that is not something that I had considered. So what I'll probably just do is recommend things as as I kind of find them and encounter them. You know, you probably just get more recommendations. Um, and uh, I'll be doing a little chat at the start of every episode as well. So don't worry, we'll we'll still have plenty of time together. And if I guess, to be honest, if if some of you said that the bit that you like the most is when I'm yapping away at the start of the podcast, which I'm honored. But if you like that, the Patreon mailbag episode is probably right up your alley because that's a lot more of me chatting. Um, and thank you to everyone who has joined the Patreon over the course of the last weekend, indeed, ever, because um, it, it, it really makes a big difference to me, especially right at the moment when I'm having to turn down certain bits of commercial work. So I, I can't thank you enough. I love you, my friends, very much. Uh, my week was good. Yeah, I had a good week. It was busy. I feel like it's busy all the time these days. I celebrated Galentine's over the weekend. Um, everything is good. Um, 
I've mainly been getting ready for a trip to Amsterdam. I'm going to Amsterdam. I'm actually leaving for Amsterdam in 40 minutes. I'm trying to record everything before I leave the house and then I'm going to edit this airport and upload it in the airport. Um, I'm going to visit a friend. We're going to see CMAT tonight, which is very exciting. And I'm just going to hang out. I haven't been to Amsterdam in a long time, so I'm really excited because I gathered there's about 100 million Irish people there. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be lots of fun. I'm sure I'll have lots of stories for you on Monday when I record the news episode with Carl. So yeah, the new format is kicking off next week. On Monday, you'll get a news episode with Carl. On Wednesday, you will get uh, celebs and entertainment catch up. And then on Friday, you'll get to hear a chat with someone who's doing something really interesting. So um, I've got it all lined up for you. I think it's going to be great. I really hope you like it. I'm very excited. Um, but now we better get down to business and carry on with the last of our old format episodes with Carl Kinsella of the Journal Hello Carl Kinsella, greetings to you from a, it's grey here in Ireland but it looks greyer where you are. Yeah I know right, I, 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 what can you say, uh, I feel like I'm shrouded in darkness, I feel like I look <laughs> creepy, I, I don't know if we're, if, if Carl we're doing is, that. Carl is sitting in front of a window and um, it is like he looks like he's just sitting in a dark room. Yeah, I'm in shadow. It's it's crazy. And it's, it's an never... hour later there. So like it's 10 a.m. there. So that, yeah, yeah wow. I can't believe it. It's, uh, I don't know. Did you have a nice Valentine's Day? I completely ignored it. Uh, how about you? Yeah, also completely ignored it. Um, <laughs> not necessarily for principal reasons. Just, just nothing going on. Life is um, busy, you know. Who has exactly, the time? Yeah, was, you know, busy <laughs> observing Ash Wednesday. Um, <laughs> a huge scheduling conflict. Yeah, uh, I know. What a what a no weird one. Romance when you're dedicating yourself to the Lord, you know. <laughs> I do, I do, Carl. I know. Um, okay, let's get into the news. We're laughing now, but unfortunately, there is not much to laugh about this week with the news. Um, as always, it's bleak. I would say it's bleaker even than it has been for a few weeks, because unfortunately, things for the people of Gaza have only disimproved um and I think this is this it feels almost like a turning point um in terms of there being absolutely no way for Israel to pretend that they're doing anything other than entirely getting rid of Palestinian people from Gaza yeah and it, it doesn't even seem at times like there is even much pretense you know, we spoke last week about Netanyahu's his sort of commitment to this this concept of of what they call total victory or absolute victory, which really does just mean the sort of the complete annexation and thereby removal of Palestinians from Gaza. Mm. Um, what's happened this week? You know, I, last last week already we had talked about the, the operation in Rafa um, in the very south of Gaza had begun, and it's really it's you know some of the images we've seen since then have been really horrifying and obviously we've had four months now of horrifying images but i mm. think even more hor horrifying in the last couple of weeks you know i think what will probably stand out to most people over the last seven days is, is what's kind of been called online the super bowl massacre mm. which was the sort of juxtaposition of the operation really beginning in rafa while the super bowl was underway so you have in the us you have this incredible celebration of like celebrity and sport and the entertainment industry with all the ads you have usher performing you also have taylor swift and travis kelsey all the while anybody who's looking at their phone is seeing just the most like you know gory image like this is truly like we've all seen a lot of blood we've all seen a lot of horrifying things over the last four months but 
uh, I think what's happened in Rafa because it, it is that sense of they've all been corralled into this, you know, I think it's around 30 kilometer, 30 miles square uh, city at the at the very south of Gaza. Mm. I saw um, people making a comparison saying it's basically like Heathrow Airport. It's like wow. everyone's been told to go to Heathrow Airport and everybody's crowned in there because this is the yeah. safe place. And now they're being told to leave like there's nowhere for them to go and it's 1.3 million people are in that space you know so it's it's you know and there you know i think the food shortage situation has gone crazy it's it is just one of the most sort of repulsive things you know as you say people like rafa crossing people people remember the name rafa because when you and i louise talked months ago about irish citizens being uh released from um Gaza, that's where they were getting out, was the Rafa crossing. They were getting into Egypt from there. Yeah. So this was what was designated as the safe space, as a area whereby humanitarian aid comes in and out. It's how people get in and out. And now that is being bombed as well. So there really is, there is no, there's been no stone left unturned, you know, mm. by the IDF. Um, this is the last kind of, this was the last refuge. And now that's being bombed. As you say, there's nowhere for these people to go. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that's why, you know, we talked before, uh the podcast like this is why you know ireland and spain have now i think they've written to the eu kind of calling for some review of the eu's relationship with israel Mm. um and that's kind of where we are at at the end of this week yeah and i mean like i i certainly felt like finally something and when i read that i know lots of people feel it's too little too late louis varadkar was in the doll this week saying that he feels like people are kind of misled or disillusioned in terms of the amount of power that the irish government has in this situation which i think is probably fair like there isn't a lot they can do but i guess it's a question of them doing everything that they can do that's it. I think it's kind of there's almost two ways you can look at it. The first way is that the Irish government, it probably doesn't have a lot of power. Mm. But I think the second way of looking at it then is that if you don't have a lot of power, that's kind of liberating. And it should give you kind of almost more uh, confidence to to speak up and to try and impose yourself. Because if you're not the one making the final decision, then, you know, you can speak your mind and you can you can put your sort of moral point of view forward, mm. which you know, that is kind of what is done in this letter by it. So it's Varadkar and also the prime minister of Spain co-authored. And what they want is a review of the EU's trade relationship with Israel, because, you know, the EU do a lot of trade with Israel and mm. all of that is predicated on an idea that Israel agrees to abide by sort of the human rights conventions that all countries are banned by. Mm. Um, but obviously, I mean, I think we can concede or we can accept that Israel's not doing that right now. Yeah. Um, so it would be totally valid for the EU to review that trade agreement and to even sanction Israel. But I mean, that's very unlikely because you've had people like Ursula von der Leyen who said that, you know, time and time again, that Israel has the right to defend itself. She's visited Israel. There's broadly a lot of support for Israel by certain very powerful EU member states. Um, so whether or not anything will actually come of this, I, mm. I don't know. But it, as, you, as you say, if it does feel like something of, from the perspective of the Irish government, but it does also feel like this is something that, you know, given that it is just a letter, given that it's just an appeal for a review, why couldn't this have happened two months ago? Or yeah, exactly. Three months ago? Because, exactly. you know, there's very little, at, you know, from Ireland's perspective, there's very little at stake. Yeah, it's what do we have to letter. lose? Yeah, exactly. It's just a call for a re- review. You know, it's, it's it is still a small step. It is kind of encouraging, but it does just feel like, 
waiting for the horse to bolt before you you lock the door somewhat yeah um, yeah well you know we will obviously continue to cover this and uh, the thing is me and Carla are gonna be talking again on Monday because in the new uh, schedule you'll be getting your news episode on a Monday um so in just a couple of days we will be discussing this and who knows what might have happened between now and then um now let's move on there was a massive kerfluffle that actually feels like the wrong word to use there was a a a a storm this week about the Irish language after Ivan Yates appeared on the six o'clock show on Virgin Media. Were you following this as it was happening, Carl? Yeah, pretty much. I I I, I like uh, drama that unfolds on live Irish television and I like the Irish language. So it was really good. <laughs> right up your street. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what happened here was, uh, yeah, Ivan Yates and, and Sheila Shoga were on the six o'clock show. And Ivan Yates is a news talk presenter. Um, he's kind of makes makes his money out of having opinions, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, I could explain Ivan Yates a bit like Ivan Yates. I don't know how far like because obviously I'm on this podcast as a journalist. So mm. I'm, you know, I'm coming at this from a totally impartial uh, perspective but you know some would find Ivan Yates annoying you know some people <laughs> I don't know it's <laughs> not necessarily me um but yeah I've, Ivan Yates for years yeah and he's, he's a former TD he used to own um he was a, a minister series. for agriculture was, yeah he used yeah. to own a lot of uh, bookies and stuff that I think uh don't exist anymore um but he's it's funny because a while ago he retired from the media but he's obviously back yeah um, <laughs> but can't in any keep, case can't be keep a good man down Exactly. Yeah. So they're talking. Sheila Shoga was on. They were talking about the Irish language. Um, Ivan Yates kind of saw that as an opportunity. Like you know, this is for me. This is classic Ivan Yates fair. It's it's a very easy target to sort of just complain about the Irish language. And what he was saying was that you know it's ridiculous that we put so many resources into learning the Irish language when quote unquote only sixteen thousand people are able to speak it. Uh, that's inaccurate, by the way. The journal yeah. did a fact check on that, and it's it's more like seventy thousand people speak it properly or speak it kind of fluently, uh, and then you've got more people again. Yeah, one point uh, eight three million, according to the twenty twenty two census, can speak Irish. So, yeah, that's it. Loads of people can speak a bit of Irish, and I think most people who can speak a bit of Irish are pretty glad that they can speak a bit of Irish. Yeah. I feel like most people, if you're complaining about Irish, you're usually kind of playing it up a little bit. Yeah, but the reason it became such a storm is because the host. Uh, Brian Dowling when Ivan Yates was saying all of this and giving out about the Irish language he kind of he stood up and he sort of leaned across uh, Fanula Jones and Sheila Shoga and shook Ivan Yates's hand as if to say like you know this yeah I fully agree thank mm. you for saying this and he then explicitly agree and I think people didn't love the op- people didn't love how it looked yeah. uh, people didn't love how it sounded people anyone who's like I mean, absolutely fair enough to defend the Irish language. I think people always, always should. Yeah. Um, and then I think people just also just the visual of it. Yeah. Uh, it just know, didn't look great. I think. Yeah. It just didn't look great. And so afterwards, the the next day, uh, Brian Dowling, he did, he did, he sort of apologized. He he kind of apologized. Would we call he, it an apology? No, I like I'm I'm trying to be because for me, right? What I always sympathize with is that in if you're on live and you would know so much more about this than me, Louise, but when you're on live, mm-hmm. you you can you can do something stupid, you yeah. can say something stupid, you can you can you can mess up and that yes. can because even when I record this podcast, I'm so scared I'll say something stupid. <laughs> uh, and, and, and pretty much every week I hit that target. I, I managed to say something stupid once a week, I would say. Um yeah, so I, I sympathize, but at the same time, yeah, as you said, the apology wasn't great. It was very like, you know, it was one of those, it was it reminded me a bit of, uh, 
Holly Holly Willoughby on after the Philip Schofield thing where it was like that like just breathe thing yeah um, it was just like ah uh, we have a laugh don't we it's like this is a place for laughter and it's like I don't you know yeah maybe but like also you could just say sorry like you could just say I was in the wrong and I, I should have more respect for the Irish language that kind of thing yeah. not that I want to be like a school major and be like no but you could even you be want- like look you know on my personal, you know, re- relationship with the Irish language doesn't reflect the many thousands of people who, for whom it's, you know, really vital. And, you know, and yeah. I have to say, fair play to Fanula. Like, tricky one for Fanula as a guest host. And I know she's been on that show a lot. But, like, as a guest host to kind of... Because she, you know pointed out that you know languages are dying left right and center and you know that there's so much value to it and she kind of stood her ground which I thought was very impressive not easy in that situation yeah absolutely yeah really impressive and I thought fair play to to, uh, Sheila Shoga as well she came out the next day on news talk and gave an interview and said that she didn't find the apology was uh, sufficient and she did feel like it was an embarrassing kind of moment. And it is embarrassing because if you're Sheila Shogun getting invited on mm. to talk about the Irish language and then you're sort of like, it seems almost like you're, you're being slagged off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you yeah, because she kind of initially, I think, was like happy to kind of let it blow over. But then uh, Ivan Yates doubled down on it then. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he gave a whole interview. Yeah, yeah gave yeah, a whole like, interview double yeah, downing on it. Yeah, like fair enough. If you're down the pub with someone and someone says, uh, I think we spend too much money on the Irish language, you could laugh it off and it's like, fine. But when it's Ivan Yates on TV and that's like an ideological position, like Sheila Shogan knows that she has to go out and combat that because otherwise people are being influenced to sort of turn against the Irish language, which is not not really what 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 anyone wants i don't think yeah now full disclosure i feel i have to say that i was once um called a racist for an an article that i wrote article article is stretching it a piece i wrote for daily edge um about 15 years ago (laughs) about which referred to the Irish language it was very much in jest i would not write it now can i just say at my ripe old age and in 2024 i am much smarter and uh have a more sophisticated take on things than i did then but it was like kind of like why would you give your children these names and it was some of the the names oh, that's funny. where people go out into the world and no one can pronounce them because they don't speak irish and when you go internationally i would not write it now i really wouldn't i genuinely wouldn't but it was very much a joke but i i it ruined my life for several weeks that's, yeah i people like i mean there's there's definitely a limit to which like you can't take these things too seriously. Mm. And like, sometimes Irish names are amusing, you know, like yeah. that's simply, but let's not, let's not get ourselves back into trouble. No, exactly, like, exactly. Not, but like, I say that with thing. great love for the Irish language. Like, you absolutely. know, I, I, I absolutely love the Irish language. And I presume the Welsh can also acknowledge that some Welsh words, you look totally. at them and you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> Like, it's not because I don't love it. And I I wish that I had a, you know, I speak a very, very, very tiny bit of Irish, almost nothing because I was away in, you know, for most of my education in America. And then I was exempt when I came home. It's on my list of things to do when my children stop being quite so needy. Um, I really would like to learn more Irish. And I think it's, it's, I would, I would be devastated if it went. I think that it's absolutely right that we invest in it. And I think there are so, there's so much beauty in the Irish language. So just to be clear, on that um but yeah it's it's a serious thing and um I, yeah this just was not I think it just was not a good look at all if anything maybe it's kind of heightened people's defense for the language probably and I do think like I mean I think there's such an I, Irishness these days 
I think it's associated with cool. Yeah. Like, and I know that sounds like such a lame thing to say. Once I said that, I was like, oh God, I sound lame. But Father like, Trendy you, over here. Exactly. But if you have people like Decap coming in and like making music through Irish and you have films like on Colleen Kuhn and yeah. stuff, like there's just been so much cultural success through the Irish language in recent mm. years that I do think for the most part, I think people, certainly when you hit your 20s, you mightn't appreciate it when you're in school because yeah. I don't think it's necessarily because of the way it's taught. It's just that it's something you have to study and people don't like to study. Yeah. Um, but I think once you hit your 20s and your 30s, I think most Irish people have quite a robust appreciation for, you know, even if they can only speak to a fuck like I think everybody is glad that they can. You oh, know? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so. Okay. Um. My old pals, RTE, were back before the Oireachtas Committee uh, this week. And uh, once again, it did not go well for them. No. And before the committee, we were almost not going to talk about this. Like yeah. I suggested, not, I was like, ah, well, Zach, you know, this has been going on too long. Uh, but then the committee happened and they just have so much drama in them. I actually can't, I can't believe how much, like, I would totally at this point watch a short miniseries about this RTE. Oh, scandal, same. You know? You know, get Aiden Gillen in to play Ryan Tuberty or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, so what? what came surely, surely it would be. Um, surely it would be Donald Gleeson. Oh, that is good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. That would be cool. Um, yeah. So yesterday, what the it was in front of the media committee, and you know we haven't had a committee like this since uh, since kind of summer last year, which you know everybody enjoyed very much and Massively. had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and this time around, yeah, it was looking at various sort of things that the RTE board didn't sign off on, basically. Uh, so, again, it's just a question of corporate governance. And so the headline revelation was probably that Brita O'Keefe, the RTE's former chief financial officer, who would have appeared before the committee last year, you might remember. Mm -hmm. um, she received an exit package of €450,000. And that was not considered or approved by the RT executive board. So obviously that's a, that's a huge expenditure um, for something to, and th like the rules of the voluntary redundancy scheme required that RT sign off on, on, on stuff like that. And it was found that O'Keefe wasn't actually even an applicable candidate to qualify for the scheme. So, I mean, there's kind of layer upon layer there of like poor corporate governance. You know, you've got someone who is not eligible for a scheme who shouldn't who needs to be signed off on by the board before they get this money getting a huge amount of money anyway um and like they found that i think of all the major uh sort of golden handshake uh, exit payments that brita o'keefe's was worth way more than all the others combined so mm. it was kind of it all the spotlight did sort of fall on her um there was also a lot of uh, talk about the toy show, the musical, which I just love whenever that comes up because it's just such a, it's it's just unbelievable how much of a disaster it was. You know, yeah. obviously losing two point two million euro um, overall cost of two point seven million euro, but it was also found that the RTE board, uh, who at the time crucial members would have been D Forbes, she was the director general. Um, you also would have had uh, the head of the the general board, Moya Doherty. Um, they didn't sign off on Toy Show the Musical. So again, you're talking about 2.7 million at the door that nobody has even really signed off on. It's all just kind of done on an ad hoc basis where, you know, people like, I guess they just give a nod and a wink and these things get, these payments get sanctioned. Um, it's, it's really crazy. I think um, all of this is just like, as someone obviously who worked there for a long time and who obviously knows lots of people who worked there for a long time, it's just so funny to see proof 
that things were the mess that you felt like they probably were. (laughs) Yeah, that must be quite quite vindicating and quite satisfying. Well, it's uh, just kind of like, you know, there was always a sense. Now, this is me being careful what I say. There was always a sense that like nobody was really talking to each other. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if we could just, as as people who were actually doing the work on the ground, there was always a feeling like if the managers or like the senior people in RT would just talk to each other and like maybe work together, we could be so much more successful. Like if we pooled our resources, which at one stage was what D4 said we were going to do and then we never did. Like if we if we had some joined up thinking that maybe we could actually do something cool because the place is full of really smart people. The people who are doing the work, creative people who are just having having well I mean I I would love if it had changed now I have a lot of time for Kevin Backhurst but like who are having the kind of positivity and creativity and joie de vivre just drained out of them by hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall in there you know and so to to finally have the proof that like yes it was just a mess it was people kind of looking out for themselves and you know you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It seems like there was a bit of that going on as well. You know, it just feels like, yeah, this is this is what we what we thought. But yeah, it's absolutely. awful because at the end of the day, sorry, Carl, I'm really on one now. Um, no, go ahead. At the end of the day, as I have said on this podcast and as I've written about in the Indo, and I, you know, I I really am passionate about RTE and it's you know our need for it to exist and the role that it plays in our lives or has played in our lives previously culturally and um I believe in public service broadcasting um so you know RT doesn't belong to those people RT belongs to us and we deserve to have it be brought back to I mean it's never going to be back to its former glory that's just not the reality of the media landscape now but it deserves to be brought back into you know a, a place of where people respect it and where it is efficiently and properly run. And I do genuinely believe that Kevin Backhurst is doing his absolute best to make that happen. Yeah, and like you can see their wings are kind of clipped because there's still frustration over lots of very important people. We already mentioned D Forbes mm. uh, are not they're being asked to attend these committees to provide answers and they're not doing it. Obviously, last summer, uh, D Forbes had just resigned and she provided a medical uh, reason mm. why she couldn't attend. That medical reason still seems to be, um, that seems to still be in play. I think the Oireachtas now has asked for some kind of proof, um, which I think is is going to be furnished. Mm. But like Neve Smith, the the chair of the committee yesterday, she said that she hopes that these people don't put the committee in a position where they have to compel them to attend, Mm. which is something committees can do under Irish law. Mm. And, um, you know, and I think it's getting to the point now where that's going to have to happen because... The leadership of the era of RTE that is sort of responsible for this mess has not truly been questioned. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to need to happen. I, I hope it happens sooner rather than later, because I do think, you know, I do think in many ways people are very tired of this story. And I yeah. do think, as you say, Kevin Backhurst, he's clearly trying to do something and I think he should be allowed to crack on with it. Mm. Um, so I think this is kind of the fact that he has to come in here and yeah. answer or answer for decisions he didn't make. Yeah. Uh, seem like a bit of a, a waste of time in some ways totally yeah what's the what's the point you know if the people who are actually responsible for it aren't there what's the point like all Kevin Backers can do is say yeah that's bad and uh, I'm doing my best to make sure that doesn't happen again which I think is the truth um, that's it. 
Okay, let's move on. Delivery drivers and, well, delivery food delivery drivers in general, because um, it's not just delivery, it's Uber Eats and other platforms as well, were striking in Dublin last night. I thought it was important to talk about this because I think we're all aware of the gig economy, as it is referred to, which just means jobs like this where you're kind of paid as you work. Um, you know, and that the fact that there were problems within it. But I was genuinely shocked by some of what I learned when I was reading about this strike. Yeah, so this this took place yesterday, and as you say, it, it kind of encompassed Deliveroo and Uber Eats and Just Eat and uh, the sort of gig economy delivery services. And I think probably what you're referring to, because this is what jumped out at me as well, is that in a lot of cases now, delivery drivers and delivery riders, they are earning around or less than one euro per delivery, which is, you know, like, I mean, that's obviously beyond poverty level wages. That's crazy. You know, that's it's, it really is borderline nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if you're making whatever, like even if you're making what, you know, and you're not making 70 deliveries in a day, no way. You, you know, like it's, it's just a, it's, it really is very frightening. And it, it is because of the sort of privileges that these companies have that have essentially where tech has outpaced the law and they have sort of found loopholes in employment law. And they're able to just sort of, as you say, zero hour contract, gig economy, these people. And in most cases, these are people who are here in Ireland. They are usually, uh, they're often from uh elsewhere and like it's it's interesting the english language students union of ireland mm. um they have been quite vocal on this because obviously you have a lot of people who are working for delivery or just eat who are you know taking english lessons mm. um so yeah i, I did think it was uh it's it is an interesting protest and it shows you exactly kind of where we are as a country because you know when you have for me it's like you look at these things kind of like almost like warning signs mm. you know as far as where you're headed because if you have a situation where say delivery drivers are being paid these like you know absolute poverty wages it's sort of a race to the bottom and if if these people are treated badly then it's only a matter of time before the next rung up is treated as badly yeah um and and you know it's worth noting as well that most of these delivery services charge delivery fees which are substantially more than one euro so uh, you know and i appreciate that obviously the the platform has to make money as well otherwise there's no point in its existence but like it's not working out in an even way and it's I, this is going to sound like I'm bigging myself up, but I'm not. But I obviously, I have read about the these issues previously. So I always, if I do use one of these services, I always try and tip relatively generously. And I almost always get an effusive thank you specifically from the driver about the tip. And it's always made me feel really sad because, you know, it shouldn't be that, you know, a few euro of a tip is a game changer for these people, but it seems like it is. And, you know, we we like to talk in Ireland about how disgraceful it is that when you go to America, you have to tip everybody and, you know, you absolutely have to because they're not paid enough, you know, working in the job and you have to supplement their wages and that they're, you know, they're employer should be paying them a fair wage so that they don't have to rely on tips but like that's that's what's happening here uh, except for worse um so you know it really isn't good enough i don't i don't know like is is boycotting a, a good thing to do in this situation because i was talking to someone last night about this and i was saying you know but then what do these people do for work you know is there another is there an alternative like what is the best course of action i'm not sure 
Yeah, I feel like so. I feel like always the principle with boycotts is you kind of you wait to be told to boycott kind yeah. of thing. Like you, if they called for a boycott, then you'd advise it. But mm. if if the group hasn't yet called for it, then and yeah. I mean, it was kind of a similar thing during COVID, where people or at the very start of COVID, people were were boycotting weather spoons. But then the weather spoons employees were like, "Please don't do that." <laughs> they yeah, were like, yeah, we're screwed now. Yeah, yeah, it's um, awful anyway. Think, yeah, similar principle here. But yeah, I guess tip as much as possible is is one thing. And I also think there's just like a level of complicity by like big food brand, like say McDonald's, Supermax, those kind of brands. Because, you know, if you're a chipper and you used to hire a private, not, mm. not a private, if you just hired your own delivery people, You'd have you to would pay have them. to pay them yeah. with you know, proper employment law. You know, whereas this has allowed McDonald's and Supermax and all these companies that didn't used to deliver to outsource the process of delivery mm. at such a cheap rate. And it, it is just you know it is it's such a cliched story of the little guy kind of getting crushed while these huge companies are able to just use economy scale to yeah. to make incredible savings yeah yeah um, um now do you know what carl i think we're going to save our last story for monday um because we have talked for a long time and we are just going to talk to each other again in a few days um which is very exciting so even wanting more yeah exactly exactly it's a good one let me just tell you it's a good yeah. one i definitely want to talk about it um so i will talk to you on monday for our first standalone news episode and sure i might bump into you in amsterdam over the weekend yeah absolutely yeah keep your eyes peeled for a woman yes you going mad around the town <laughs> exactly <laughs> thanks carl thanks louise forgot to do Carl's big sell at the end there so um just a little reminder you can read Surreeling in the Years which is Carl's column in the journal.ie every Saturday and you can find him on the internet as well oh he is there just like the rest of us living our lives wasting hours and hours of our time wasting who knows is it wasting I don't know he's carl.kinsella on Instagram and TV's Carl Kinsella on Twitter if you want to find him now though as I said at the start last week I posted something to my Instagram about the fact that I'm still surprised by my period every single time it comes I'm surprised by the symptoms around it I'm surprised by every facet of it despite the fact that I have now been experiencing it for decades and I know that lots of you feel the same and based on the responses that I got so I thought it might be a good idea to speak to someone about why we should tune in more to our menstruation cycle the impact that it has on us and you know know when that impact is more severe what you can do in situations like endometriosis and how we can feel kind of a bit more positive and empowered around it so this week we are joined by Lisa DeYoung who is a coach specializing in menstrual cycles she helps people to kind of learn and work with their menstrual cycle and also to advocate for themselves where necessary she is super smart and I really enjoyed talking to her and I hope you enjoy this too so Lisa, thank you so much for giving me your time. I was absolutely honored to hear that you're a listener to the podcast, which I always think is great because it means we can all, everybody who's listening and you and me, we're all on the same page. We know what we're here for. We know what the story is. Um, mm. So thank you so much. Thanks I, for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I suppose I, we better start with a little bit about you. Um, you know, how did you come to work in this area? Yeah, so uh, it started as a personal lived experience journey, Louise. I um, struggled with my periods for a very long time, ever since I was a teenager. And to the point where, you know, I was just having debilitating pain and um, was in and out of different doctors and I just didn't get the help that I needed. Mm. And so I decided to research it more. And this was kind of before 
there were books about hormones and periods and the menstrual cycle and you had to dig deep into Google to find yeah. information. And I read a book, um, it would have been maybe 2014, 2015, um, called Woman Code by a writer called Elisa Vitti. Hmm. And I started to learn about the endocrine system and hormones and that it wasn't just a period, it was a whole menstrual cycle connected to our endocrine system, connected to our nervous system. And it's such a big part of who we are and our energy and our mental health and our psychology. And then I I just got really fascinated by that. I was just so drawn to learning more and more. And I took courses and training and started to then work with um, a supervisor who now is still my supervisor. And yeah, I began delivering workshops in, in Dublin, group workshops for women in Dublin. And um, it kind of just took off from there really so mm. it's been personal and then professional training and learning how to deliver this work and work with people as well yeah it is funny that it is because this all this conversation is kind of born out of me making a joke on my Instagram about the fact that I commented to Gordon my husband that I uh my appetite I was like my appetite is off the charts this week and he was like yes like Louise literally this happens to you every single time you get your period like you know you were in a rage last week and now your appetite is insane and then you know and you have your period and like this is what happens every time how do you not know that and I said that and then so many people came back to me and said I'm the exact same the exact same thing happens to me and it does strike me as wild that we are all so disconnected from something that is such a significant presence in our life and I kind of wonder why that is do you think it's because we're kind of socialized into just getting on with it and not thinking it's a big deal or why do you think we do have that disconnect it's a really good question Louise um and there's probably multiple answers to it and I love like it's like I can really relate to this myself and so many people can and the, the term I use for that is because I have a term for that experience called cycle amnesia, where you are in a particular phase of your cycle, whether that's your menstrual phase or the opposite side of your cycle, which is ovulation. And you experience yourself very differently in the different weeks of the cycle. And then, you know, we, we're just in it. We're, we're, that's our life then. And then we forget like that it changes and it shifts and changes and like, you know, the next phase then comes after. So it's very easy to forget. Um, but to answer your question, I, I do think it is to do with um, education. You know, we're, we're kind of just only taught to manage our period and manage, you know, pain, symptoms, and it's not, it's like no one teaches it as a positive thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's seen as something to manage. We're taught to hide it. We're taught not to talk about it. Mm. Um, and then if there is something that needs to be looked at, it's always a problem or a pathology of some sort or an issue. Mm. Um, and, and, and yeah, a lot of people, a lot of women and people with cycles like struggle with their periods and they have these symptoms and then we just have to get through it because there, we do have to, you know, go, go to work and show up in life and, it can be really, really hard to manage um, symptoms. So, and then also the the reality is like what I'm seeing in my work as well is there's just no like very clear answer to these issues. There's no one right way of resolving menstrual cycle challenges. Yeah, and it can be quite a it's it's quite a complex area. Mm. And um, there's so like that's why my work my work is very intersectional. I work with 
the endocrine system, the nervous system, psychology, our relationship with ourself. Mm -hmm. And then also through that systemic lens, like, you know, really getting curious about the kind of messages that we've yeah. taken on board. Um, so I don't have a very clear answer to that question, Louise, but it's, yeah, it's just, um, it fascinates me every time how, how that is the way it is. And ultimately it's, I think it does come down to education. We haven't been taught to or encouraged to have a positive relationship with our cycle at all. Mm. I mean, I think that there will be people listening and I'm not going to lie. There's part of me that's like, how could I feel positive about this? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, how, how can we feel positive about our menstrual cycle? It, it, yeah, that's a really, really good question. I don't necessarily think it's about, you know, we have to be looking for like, I certainly have days where I don't like my period and my menstrual cycle and I have symptoms like that. But it's more about understanding it as a systemic experience. So it's not just a period, we have four yeah. different phases. Mm. So this framework that I'm going to talk to you about now actually is really, really helpful in, in understanding. So we have menstruation, which is when the hormones are at their lowest level and that's when the lining of the womb is shedding and because estrogen and progesterone are at their lowest that can mean that we're more vulnerable um emotionally psychologically energetically you know it's like the archetype um is that's used to explain it is the inner winter of your cycle okay so similar to the seasons of the year it's you know we, we were moved to maybe rest more and take care of ourselves and have more self-care during the that winter phase of the cycle mm. and then after menstruation estrogen starts to pick up um and it's increasing slowly and because estrogen is picking up one of the roles of estrogen is to give us more energy so that's when we do have more energy in that what's called the spring phase of the menstrual cycle the pre-ovulation time and then when estrogen is at its highest then we come into the ovulation phase that's like the summer of the menstrual cycle and generally speaking not for everyone but for a lot of people we tend to be more emotionally resilient here and have you know like summer we have more desire to be outside and connect and be out out in the world and mm. um, because our hormones are on our side like we the, our hormones our endocrine system create like a a buffer for our experience and then after ovulation that's the premenstrual phase and that's when we start to come into the autumn of our cycle and that's when progesterone increases estrogen decreases and because of the those fluctuations in hormones then we can have symptoms like pms or or you know in some cases pmdd or mm. just moody feelings um and in like to go back to your question it's not so much about liking all of those phases but it's more about being in relationship with who we are during each of those phases, getting to know ourselves through the lenses yeah. of the seasons and then getting curious about who we are, what our needs are, what we are vulnerable to, mm. um, you know, sort of like things like, like things like that. Like, so for, I'll give you an example for me. So for in my, um, if I go really fast at life in my period phase, in, in the menstrual phase, and I'm busy because it happens you know and I have a lot of things on or I say yes to every social event yeah and I don't really give myself time to kind of rest and take it gently and especially if I have pain then the week after my period I can experience what I feel like is social anxiety and I can feel very on edge and a bit like very drained and I don't really have a lot of energy left in the tank for um you know to give to the world mm. so it's about this sort of energy management 
and under your understanding yourself then through those lenses of of your hormonal experience as mm. well so hopefully that answers your question it's not about having this positive relationship but more about having like a accepting compassionate yeah. relationship with reality yeah that makes total sense compassion is exactly what I was thinking of because if you understand what's going on with you it's I mean, I, I realize I'm like a broken record and I never stop talking about the ADHD, but like the diagnosis for me just gave myself the framework in which to find compassion for myself and to forgive myself for the things that I struggle with. So I feel like that applies directly to this as well, that like if you know, well, my body is doing its absolute best right now, but it's, you know, the hormones are not on side right now. So you need to be kinder to yourself, give yourself more time to rest, make, you know, lower your schedule or whatever. And, you know, that makes total sense to me. It's more like a positive approach, I suppose, more accepting. Approach. Yeah. 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 It's very practical, actually, which is I like practical things yeah. to help me manage my time and energy. So it's really practical. And like, and with that framework, it's not always going to be perfect because we can't perfectly sync our cycle with our schedule either. Mm. So then it becomes about how can I, like, say, for example, if I'm asked to do a talk or something, you know, on my day one when I'm, that tends to be a vulnerable day for me, then how, how can I look after myself? Um, with that reality in my experience mm. and I might then decide to wear and people probably do this anyway it might I won't wear like tight jeans that day for yeah. example you know or I'll think about how I um, just move move in terms of my energy and mm. what I have afterwards things like that yeah you mentioned PMDD there, which is something that I only came to be familiar with over the last couple of years. And I think there will be lots of people who who don't know about PMDD. So can you maybe give us just a quick lowdown on what that actually is? Of course, yeah. So PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And what it is, it's um, a mental health condition that is linked to the menstrual cycle, where people have um, their mental health is is either vulnerable or at risk in the premenstrual phase. So um, kind of a simple way of explaining that is it's like PMS, but your symptoms are way more intense than PMS to the mm. point where it's really impacting how you feel. You might have really scary, dark thoughts. You might have heightened anxiety or depression, or uh, you just won't feel yourself. Mm. Um, and so it's it's very common for a lot of people and it's becoming more and more talked about and it's becoming more diagnosed because there is a lot more awareness and a lot more education around it. Um, and there's different ways to treat it. You can treat it um, medically, you can, you, you know, you can, do holistic stuff um you can do mental health stuff it's really about finding a way that works for you and to support mm. yourself through that yeah I have heard anecdotally from people um in my Instagram dms that it's difficult to get a diagnosis of PMDD is that something that you would an opinion that you would share or do you think that's improving well it's probably difficult because there's no like blood test for it yeah. you know it's more like a syndrome um, and I think a lot of the medical community is still getting to know what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's still a relatively new term in terms of, you know, GPs understanding what it is, how to recognize the signs for it, mm. and then how to diagnose. I don't, I'm not familiar with the exact diagnostic process, but I imagine similar to other syndrome type conditions, it's like kind of like a questionnaire. Mm. Um, and I don't necessarily think you have to have like a GP who tells you that this is what you have, but um, it is helpful. That is really helpful to have that because then you know, you know what you're looking at and you know what kind of books to read and mm. blogs to read and that kind of thing. But I do know like, I, I have worked with a lot of people who um, they just identify with it. They don't necessarily have to have that like label. Official but they identify. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But they have the they can identify with the experience and that can be helpful in terms of then 
um, yeah, just just thinking about it in those terms and then find maybe finding support groups or articles or books or things like mm. that to help you navigate that. Yeah, because it can be really scary to have PMDD. And a lot of people who I've spoken to who have it have had it for years, but it's never they've never connected the cycle. And then yeah. they start tracking the cycle and then they see, oh, this isn't just a mental health um, diagnosis. This is actually linked to my hormones, too. And then all these light bulbs start to, you know, start to light up for them. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about tracking because it sounds like that would be key to kind of having success in this area, which it's some, it's not something that I've ever really managed to do, to be honest. Um, my brain doesn't do well with those kind of tasks, but I appreciate that I could I would benefit from it. Um, <laughs> I know people are kind of skeptical about some of the apps um, that are available for tracking your period. What's the best way, do you think, to do it? I think the best way is the way that works for you. Yeah. <laughs> like what you said, Louise, mm -hmm. you know, um, I personally, I, I'd be kind of similar to yourself. Like I, I, when I first started, I was journaling a lot. So I was really, cause I was really desperate, you know, to figure out yeah. what's going on for me. So I was writing in my journal. I had a menstrual cycle tracking journal that actually I created one and I created a system where you can then look at like what's going on for you on your day ones, your day twos, your day threes. So mm -hmm. If say, for example, if you are really curious and you do have that internal desire to really explore this, I would recommend um, journaling and writing on your, in your journal day one and tracking some physical uh, symptoms, how you're doing emotionally, mm. how you're doing um, in your mental health. You know, even I don't know, you can track your dreams, you can track your appetite, you can track your skin, any anything really that's sort of of significance. Um and how you're feeling and what your needs are. Mm -hmm. And then after a few months, what happens then is you can look back over that journal and identify trends. And that's what I mean by getting to know, like, you know, what you're needing and where where your, your um, like I said before, your vulnerabilities are and how to look after yourself. So mm -hmm. that journal can really help for that. But then after that, you don't have to do that forever. You can do that for a few months, then get to know yourself and then um, the apps are really handy in terms of remembering where you are in your cycle. Mm. So I love to just input my day one mm. in my app where you, I know smartwatches nowadays have it as well and you can just pop it in or in your Google calendar or wherever you sort of schedule yourself. And then when you go into the app, say 10 days later, you don't have to remember that you're on day 10 or 11. It will, it will remember for you. Yeah. And that's really helpful. So whenever I'm suddenly feeling I'm feeling great. I'm in that inner summer phase. And then I might be in the supermarket. And what happens to me then is people get in my way and I get a lot more irritated than I normally would. You know, mm -hmm. my patience really gets tested. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I wonder where I am in my cycle. And then I'll look and I'll see, oh, I'm on day 27. That's happened really quickly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then I'm like, okay, just maybe I need to slow down this evening and just take it easy. And and then that like my brain will catch up a little bit with my body. And that's a nice way to track because then you can it's your app is doing the work for you. Yeah, because there is something about that aha moment when you realize it. Like for me, I it, rage and anger is is something that I experience. I've always experienced with my period. I find it's getting worse now. Um, and you can feel so out of control and like helpless but when you do realize, oh, wait, actually, my period is coming in a few days or whatever, it, it does bring comfort in my experience. You kind of go, OK, I can take a deep breath. I can maybe apologize if I need to apologize to <laughs> yeah. whoever it is that I yeah. has been at the end of my wrath. So it makes sense that, you know, having that uh, information ready for you to make it easy for you to kind of access would be helpful. 
Yeah, it is. And and like, and then you just have so much more acceptance and it's handy then because then you can explain it to people. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'll tell my partner, oh, like, sorry about that. I'm on day, whatever, you yeah. know. So it's handy for people to know, like, whether you're comfortable sharing that information or not, but at least you know yourself. Yeah. Because I think the thing is before I, before I tracked, I had no clue. I was just, you know, living my life and then just having symptoms and then you know snapping or getting angry or whatever but I didn't connect it to the cycle but now I, I connect it. and now also it, it helps a lot with processing emotions too sometimes I do need to talk it out or you know um journal on something for a bit longer or go for that walk or or, or sometimes the anger is is there for a reason and I have to actually have like have a difficult chat with someone yeah and it's it's the premenstrual phase that reveals to me every month oh this this issue that I've been ignoring keeps coming up mm. um but what, what's happening with the premenstrual phase is because um estrogen is is dropping it's a bit like the rug is being pulled up so things that we park and ignore mm. are coming to the light if you will and they're coming up and it's sometimes there's things we just have to address mm. and so the cycle is sort of like it can help us to um do that introspective work yeah mm, so there you go positivity love it and <laughs> um, can I ask you because I said there that I feel like my period symptoms or my menstrual symptoms are getting worse um, and I mentioned this to my therapist recently and she was like could it be perimenopause and I was like yes it could um, mm. and uh, you know I'm 41 and I, I'm slightly in a different place because I my chemotherapy resulted in kind of a pretty dramatic decline in my eggs um, based on some fertility testing that I had um now I still got to ha have two babies so like there were definitely still still some there but anyway my point is Jesus I'm being long-winded my point is that it is very possible that I could be in that that early phase the perimenopause um how can you identify that though or for other people who are listening who might be kind of questioning whether that's a phase that they're moving into is there a way to know if that's happening I actually, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, Louise, but I think that you can get tested for that. Mm. I think you can, I think you'd, you'd want to just double check that. I would want to double check that information. I, I do know that you can get tested for menopause. Um, and also you can get tested for the fluctuations in your hormones mm. around perimenopause. Um, but what can sometimes happen is, and I've seen people, some of my teachers and mentors talk about this. Sometimes perimenopause can be confused with, um, burnout or changes of energy yeah and perimenopause like essentially what that is because some people don't understand because sure. I didn't understand until I heard you know so menopause is like after you've had I think it's a year after you've had your last period and mm. um, then you're in menopause whereas perimenopause is the, the is the fluctuations and changes in your body and in hormones that is coming before menopause happens mm. and what what that is is really it's it's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a roller coaster of estrogen going up and down and then as a result because of those fluctuations then you'll people have symptoms and um, some people don't some people do and some people need support with that in different ways and um, so it, it can be well it can it can be a bit confusing because the changes can come suddenly for some people and then for some people they can kind of come gradually mm. um but the reality also is if we look at it from that sort of systemic lens is that the age group of people going through that are also people who are um, maybe caring for kids and elderly parents and then also have a job and that can then also be a lot of stress on the nervous system yeah. and then that can also then cause hormonal stuff to happen so it might not necessarily be menopause it could also be these these life 
circumstances um, coincided. So there's a lot to kind of talk about there. But I would, if you're really wanting to know, um, I would suggest talking to your GP about that Mm. because I think that there is a test you can take for that yeah that's interesting I think you're right like this phase of life that I'm in and that obviously lots of other people are in is a particularly hectic one it just it just happens to be that there are lots of things happening if you have children as you say if you have parents maybe you need a bit of extra help isn't it great isn't it great that it all happens at the same time aren't we so lucky (laughs) um yeah I want to ask you um, about endometriosis because Mm. I know that it is a, you know, a really difficult condition for women to live with. And I know that often it goes undiagnosed or is diagnosed very late. Um, So for people who don't know, give us the general lowdown on endometriosis. Sure. Yeah. So endometriosis is a um, inflammatory condition where lining that is similar to the sorry tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus is found outside of the uterus there's lots of um sort of pe- reasons people think that that happens but mm. there's no evidence as to why, why that happens there's no like solid evidence mm. but what happens is because there is the um that tissue that's similar to the lining of the uterus outside of the uterus like I explained before, with the fluctuations of um, hormones that actually starts in the brain, um, the the fluctuations in hormones are going to then trigger responses in those tissues. Mm. And then that causes inflammation outside um, the uterus. Very often it's in the pelvic region, but for some people it can be, it can even be in and around the lungs, the brain, you know, there's being accounts of that in the world, but generally speaking, it tends to be the pelvic area which then can also impact that inflammation then can impact digestive stuff and urinary stuff so it's a very uh, complicated inflammatory condition from what i've seen and from what i've read there's a diversity in terms of um experiences so Mm. you can have a lot of endometriosis there and not really have symptoms or you can have a tiny bit of endometriosis and have really chronic symptoms that really impact your life Mm. um and there's no sort of like um because i've heard people say oh you can only get pain at a certain time of the month if you've endometriosis that's not true you can have any kind of pain anytime Mm. and the reason why it takes a long time to get diagnosed with endometriosis is because it does require um a a keyhole surgery called a laparoscopy to diagnose that Mm. now you can get an ultrasound to diagnose it but the 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 level um that type of ultrasound is only really available abroad with very specific kind of expert uh, doctors who can read at that level mm. um so it's it's very it, it's very complicated um i think the average time to, to diagnosis is about something like 13 years something crazy and another reason for that is as well is like you know there's a lot of misinformation out there um Not every single GP is fully trained and informed and can can spot the signs, but also a lot of GPs are, you know, reluctant to send teenagers and young, young adults to, to surgery, you know, so so that, so that, that it's just very complicated. Um, So it does require medical intervention. I actually think it requires like a very holistic approach because, Mm. um, you know, it's, it is better if you get treated with a, uh, with a surgery who is an expert in endometriosis, but also you can get things like, um, pelvic floor physio Mm. and nutritional intervention. And now there's like really cool research coming out in terms of pain science and regulating the nervous system. 
and um you know all this work around having a, a relationship with your cycle can really help because something that can happen with chronic pain is is that if you've had chronic pain for a, a very long time or if you expect pain the neural pathways in your brain are then firing for pain mm. so there's this whole other piece around um unlearning pain in our brain as well which is an interesting part of it but yeah it, it, it's complicated and what i would say to people who either are diagnosed or who have it or are on that journey just take your time um, go really easy on yourself get support um you know I've spoken to a lot of people who have gotten support but then haven't gotten the right support or didn't feel heard you know mm. so you can't it's really important to um find a GP who you're comfortable with you know you can bring an advocate in with you um a lot of people I know as well are you know they get nervous talking to their doctor I yeah. still get nervous talking I do, to my doctor. Yeah. I was like, yeah like even if it's nothing to do with gynecology like I was with my GP a few weeks ago for my ear and I was like nervous and I yeah. had to like write notes on my phone you know in advance mm. so I do that too just yeah like yeah. <laughs> just because it's that voice it's it's that it's such a short little appointment and you mm. want to be heard and you want to make sure that you get everything across so take your time to write notes and um, find a GP who you feel like listens to you and takes you seriously mm. and I would also like to mention the Endometriosis Association of Ireland because they're a great resource for information and for guidance and help with navigating because you're you're navigating with endometriosis you're navigating the medical system and that that brings other layers to it yeah yeah well look I mean the one thing that's clear is that this is probably a part of our lives that we should be paying attention to um and if you're like me and you just kind of ignore it and then get surprised by it every month or six weeks or seven weeks or however long your cycle is um you know maybe you and I together should work a little harder just to know what's <laughs> going on with us um as it is such a huge part of our life where can people find you Lisa if they'd like to learn more about you or get in touch with you yeah sure so I'm on Instagram Lisa Dion coach and I've actually recently set up a professional training as well called the menstrual coach academy where i'm training professionals so you can if you google lisa menstrual cycle coach you'll probably find me on google because <laughs> my surname is dutch so yeah there you, there you go <laughs> well thank you so much lisa i really appreciate the time thanks for having me louise life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane it's also so easy to get salon worthy nails at home with olive in june the difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the manny system is a complete game changer the best thing about olive in june too is it's a quick dry dries in about one minute lasts for five days and full coverage in up to one to two coats visit oliveandjune.com slash perfect manny 20 for 20 percent off your first system that's oliveandjune.com slash perfect manny 20 for 20 percent off your first system a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, there is nothing like 
the series of incidents that happened this week, which I think have been very confronting for people where we have lots of very, very serious stuff happening in the news and internationally and to people. And then we have very not serious stuff also making absolutely massive news. But that is the situation we find ourselves in this week. And we have talked about the serious stuff. So now let's talk about the less important stuff. It is time to talk celebs. And this week I'm joined by Cassie Delaney. Cassie Delaney, what a pleasure it is to be back with you once again on, it has to be said, a week where there is a lot to talk about because who knew the Super Bowl was going to become the biggest thing ever to happen ever. Um, Now, obviously, guys, I know it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about all this stuff at the moment when the horrors are continuing to happen. But, you know, we, we have talked about those it is a really weird thing to have these two things happening at the same time, but this is the portion of the podcast where we talk about this silly stuff. And I kind of think we need a little bit of silly stuff sometimes at the moment to kind of take the edge off. Um, so yes, unfortunately, absolute horrors and atrocities were unfolding during the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl did happen and it was watched by a record number of people. Oh, 150 million people. About. So it was actually, I think the exact figures are 123.4 million viewers. So the most watched thing in the US since the 1969 moon landing, if you choose to believe the moon landing happened. Um, so yeah, it is, it is well, like that's obviously, that's the amount of people who streamed it. Now, I have no interest in the Super Bowl whatsoever mm. at all. I like, to be honest, I don't think there's anything in the world that gives me a bigger ick than the Super Bowl. Seeing those people prepare their giant tubs of nachos and Oh see, I'm into that. I was no, and I was like, I was a Taylor and Travis like Stan up until last week. But seeing him cheer, I was like, I love a man with a hobby, but this is too far. There is nothing, nothing like a bigger ick than a man who's taking sport too seriously. I know he won. I know that they, they're great. I know that everyone was cheering for them. I know the high must be incredible. But I was like, oh, not for me. Just not for me. <laughs> well, it was not for you, but it was for so many millions of people. Now, it still has to be pointed out that like the people, way more people watch the World Cup final. I think it's like a billion people watch the World Cup final. So, you know, this isn't the biggest sporting event in the world, but it is the biggest sporting event in America. Um, and obviously the Taylor Swift of it all kind of added into it. What did you think? I did enjoy seeing the footage of Taylor. Um, Taylor like, and, and yeah. yeah. Well, all of it. Taylor during the game. I enjoyed seeing Taylor out on the town afterwards. Like we don't get that. We don't get to see her like that. So I did yeah. enjoy Enjoy it. That's yeah. That was probably the, the her little video of like go to a Super Bowl after party, friends and family, bring your parents. And she had she kind of panned to her parents sitting down in what was a manic room. And then I also did enjoy the manifestation of Kelsey being on the bar in the 2023 Super Bowl singing Love Story. Fast forward a year, and he's singing Love Story with his girlfriend. Yeah. Rumored, rumored soon to be fiance. I did enjoy you know, that the like song, a, the song that was on in the video with the parents was "I wanna lick, 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 lick you from your head to your toe." Then I want. I was like, "Oh my god!" Imagine being with your parents in a room where, like, Kia, my neck, my back was playing. I, it would not be for me. Oh my goodness, no, it wouldn't. I couldn't. But look, Taylor Swift can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, they're saying that like the kind of Taylor introduced a lot of people to the Super Bowl, but it was obviously massive already. They've had loads of publicity. I think one of the funniest things was was Taylor Swift was on the poster for the Super Bowl promotion. It's with, crazy, you know. The players, Usher, obviously did the halftime show. It's just a, it's a weird, like it's just 
yeah it's just not for me yeah it's just really not for me it's not it's not for me either I don't care about football it's so boring it goes on for so long it's so many afternoons of my childhood in America destroyed by you know four and five hour long football games and if they weren't actually that long they felt that long um I do enjoy why is it so long why does it need to be that long because it keeps stopping any sport need to be done it keeps stopping. Nah. It's a really stoppy, starty game. Um, and yeah, it just goes on for a long, long time. I enjoy it now. I live for the halftime show because I just love to see someone go mad. I didn't, I'm not a big Usher fan. I actually haven't even watched it, which is the first time in years I haven't watched it. But, you know, I'm happy for everybody who enjoyed it. What I did enjoy were uh, was the Ben Affleck Duncan ad, which aired during oh the God. Super Bowl. This is one of my favorite things that's happened in recent times. This was gas because we absolutely never, ever see Ben Affleck do comedy or like do anything kind of he's he's quite reserved. And obviously we have that very famous meme of Ben Affleck standing outside smoking. And that's Ben Affleck in my mind. Yeah. In many other people's minds. He's always seems a little tense, a little, you know, fed a little up. uptight. Yeah. A little fed up, a little um Un, unamused by this world. Yeah. So to see him in this fantastic Dunkin Donuts um ad basically the premise of the ad he's trying to impress j-lo with his pals brings in matt damon um and brings in tom brady he brings yep. in as well who's um, very very famous perform. football player yeah again sport not over the head um but he they perform this dunkin donuts rap and it's stunning and j-lo is there she takes on the unamused character on the track what up bro here comes the Boston Massacre! The Donkeys! Touchdown, Tommy on them keys! Player coach! Got it. I'm open. And need no introduction, my partner! Sometimes it's really hard to be your friend. You said you were gonna support me. Donkeys! Don't, don't go away. My heart. Why you dunking me, girl? Why you dunking me? Donkeys! My heart. How do you like them donuts? I'm so sorry. You had to see it, but I forgive you. It's very funny. It's just, it's unexpectedly funny. From it's ben so Affleck. funny. And it's just Matt Damon, in my view, is the funniest part of it. Because Matt's like, you know, doesn't want to be there, but is there because he's Ben's best friend. Um, I'll put a little clip yeah. in here. It's just very, very enjoyable. Um, and if you haven't watched said, it, I would recommend it. Matt Damon says at the end, you know, when I said I'd do anything for you, this is anything. Yeah. And apparently that line was improvised. Of course it was. It, like he just said it to Ben. Because he was Damon. like, this is ridiculous. But like the money that goes into the Super Bowl ads is insane. Like I read yesterday, I think Kanye West's slot was $7 million. Yeah. Just to put the ad on. And, and that he was, shot it on his iPhone. Yeah. I don't know if people saw that, but he basically said he spent all the money on the slot. So it was just him talking into his iPhone in his car. Anyway, the less said, the better about that guy. Um, yeah, so yeah. massively enjoyed that. We also got the first trailer for Wicked, the movie, um, which I was, I was excited about. So excited. And there is nothing... I'm hot off the presses of seeing Sister Act in the board, gosh, right? So there is nothing I enjoy more than a musical. There's nothing in this world that I can't, that I think, don't think can be cured by people singing in harmony. Mm-hmm. And I... Um, I just I just love musicals. I've been so excited about this one. Obviously Ariana Grande is in it. Um and it looks it looks sensational. It looks yeah. incredible. You can watch the you, you can watch the trailer now on YouTube. 
but I am buzzing for that. We got trailers for like loads of upcoming films. We've got the Quiet Place prequel. I don't know if we need it. Mm. We got um, Deadpool 3 again. I don't know if we need it. So we got the trailers for like big budget mm. blockbuster films, which yeah. is kind of exciting. I didn't realize I like there's just so much CGI in the Wicked trailer. It's kind of hard to, for me to get overly excited, even though I love Wicked the Musical. Mm. I didn't realize that it was Wicked Part 1 that they were splitting it up. Like, oh, I didn't know that either. That's wild to me. Um, but you know, get that hey ho. Uh, Gotta get that coin. I mean, am I going to watch it? 100%. Will I be in the cinema? 1 million percent. Will I watch the second one? A, a, a billion percent. Like I'm Absolutely. in no matter what. I... But is there any need yeah. really to split it up? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, will I get absolutely invested into it? One, like, absolutely. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll 100%. watch it multiple times over. I saw the Mean Girls musical. Was it great? No. Will I watch it again? Absolutely. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Mean Girls musical movie. Mm. I did. I think I, I'd enjoy the stage production more. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. But I did enjoy it. Um, okay, another ad, another big ad during the Super Bowl was Beyonce doing an ad with Verizon, the premise of which was that she was trying to break the internet. And of course, it coincided with the announcement of Renaissance Part 2. And when I sent Cassie the stories, I was like, can I just talk about Beyonce, please? Because I know it's normally the other way around, but I just have been like literally obsessing over this Beyonce story because I am obsessed with Beyonce. Um, and I just knew I wouldn't have been able to let you talk about it without me just interrupting you a million times so and I'm happy to listen this is when you it's, it's there's certain things I will never never take from you that is housewives related content Beyonce and anything to do with Dolly Parton thank so, you thank, thank you my you friend I appreciate it so yeah so basically um, you may have heard Kian I think it was last week only that Kian said that there were rumours that Beyonce was going to release three parts of Renaissance and that the first one was obviously house music second one it, which originates with in the in the black community in america second one is country music which actually originates with black people in america and then the suggestion is that th the third one will be rock music and i had not heard this i'd missed this and when kian told me i was like that is genius and it seems like that's what she's going to do because she is releasing in march the second part of renaissance which is going to be country music um, and she launched two singles during the super bowl texas hold'em and 16 carriages both of which i love I know you said you're you're flat out on Texas Hold'em. I haven't even listened to 16 Carriages yet because I'm literally, I have it on the like, the Spotify loop one thing. Yeah. It just keeps playing and I am singing it in my head. I adore it. And I'm not a big country fan. Like, I mean, I like Dolly, I like the chicks, mm. but I absolutely adore the song. Well, I love Texas Hold'em. I, I think 16 Carriages, I actually prefer. I don't know. I like feel it more. I started crying when I was listening to it when she was talking about legacy. She, there's a line about legacy in the song. And I just think that what Beyonce is doing here is huge. Like if you look mm -hmm. at Beyonce's career, you know, she's Destiny's Child obviously absolutely massive, um, you know, culturally significant because it breaks out of kind of the the R&B kind of music was kind of segregated to be honest so it breaks okay. out of the kind of African-American community and becomes like mainstream uh, she then goes on to have whopper mainstream popularity and then obviously brings it back to the black community and you know I remember when Formation came out it was so significant for the African-American community particularly women in America who just felt like they were being seen like she was absolutely putting at the front of her art her blackness and that it meant so much to, to that community and she has 
has continued to do that. And, you know, what she did with Renaissance, which was reminding people that like all of this, you know, so much of what we see in pop culture and so much of electronic music that we love actually comes from black people, was originated by black people. I actually heard a great story there recently. Um, Cassie, which I think you'll enjoy. Um, I was listening to a podcast called Cruising, which is, um, it's these women who are going around all of the remaining lesbian bars in America. It's brilliant. But in oh, one yeah, of yeah, them, yeah, I've heard of this. it's so good. But in one of them, they were talking about to this woman who was involved in a kind of a private club in Chicago um, years ago. And it was where house music began DJ Frankie Knuckles DJed there because it was a place where he could go and play what the music he was working on and he they play a clip of the interview with him on the on the thing and he says that he was playing this music that he was working on in this at this private club but it was in a in a warehouse um but they used to call it the house people would be like oh are you going to the house and he said he was in the car with his friend one day and he they drove by a bar and in the window it said house music played and he said to his friend what's that and he was like that's that's your music like that's that's because you play it at the house. That's what they're calling it. They're calling it house music. And he was like, oh, lol, that's funny. Like, that's literally where house music comes from. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it comes from this, you know, black queer community in Chicago. So cool. Um, so Beyonce did that with Renaissance Part 1, obviously. And I, you know, I was vaguely aware that uh, that there were roots of country music were within the African-American community, but I didn't really realize the extent of it. So the banjo, obviously crucial instrument to country mm-hmm. music, actually came to America via slavery. And um, it was central to the music of enslaved people living on plantations in America. It was then picked up and taken by white slave owners. Um, I learned this particular piece of information from, I don't know if you follow Matt XIV, I presume it's Matt 14 yeah, yeah. on uh, Instagram. He has a great post about this. Um, and that then the banjo became popular in minstrel shows. And then eventually it was taken over by white musicians who just appropriated it as their own music, their own instrument. And then from there, country music became white, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so Beyonce saying, mm-mm, we're taking it back. Um, and I think that that is huge and amazing. And of real significance is that on this, on uh, Texas Hold'em, you can hear there's banjo in it. And the banjo is being played by a, a black American banjo player called Rhiannon Giddens. Mm-hmm. So Rhiannon Giddens <laughs> um, lives in Limerick. Um, and has spent her entire career trying to bring attention to, you know, the fact that the banjo is a black instrument and, um, you know, she's an unbelievable um, banjo player. But she gave an interview in 2021 talking about what it would take to get to to really kind of show people, to remind people, to get people to know about the history of the banjo. And she said, it takes something like Beyonce going, I'm going to get this black banjo player to be on my next record. I could release 10 records and it wouldn't make a drop of difference compared to what Beyonce could do. And now it's incredible. It's just beautiful. In 2024, like, she's playing the banjo on it. Like it is huge and it's it just this is one of the reasons that I love Beyonce so much is that she is thinking all the time she's listening and she is really thinking about what she can do with her platform and her impact um and like I know she's come under some criticism for not speaking out about Gaza as every high profile artist has um and I think that that criticism is fair However, she is someone who is using her impact for her community in such a huge, 
in such a huge way like it can't be underestimated and if she does this then with rock music that's going to be massive as well and like I am really moved by this so I can only imagine if you were a black American how what it would feel like to you and if you particularly if you are a black country musician or if you are someone who's been trying to draw attention to the history of music and the role that you know African-American people play in it it's got to be massive and that's yeah, my it's rant. just incredible it's so it's it is really moving it's so stunning and it's just it's 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 the very like essence of why we need the arts and support the arts because yeah. it's like you know the news and all that sort of helps us understand the world but like the the arts helps us interpret it and to have something like you know to take that cultural and like take that history away from people and misappropriate it and take claim over it is a like is oppressive so to get her to see her doing this now is just it's just stunning it is it's just and magical it's interesting to see though how it's being received so already um people have there is a a, a radio, country radio station in Oklahoma where someone rang and requested that the song be played and they said we don't play Beyonce this is a country music station so you know it's not it's not going to be easy for Beyonce to get acceptance, but you know, she did play at the country music awards a few years ago with mm. daddy lessons with the chicks, which was massive because the chicks had said they would never play the country music awards again after everything that went down with them. If you don't know about that, I could talk about that for a full another hour. Um, but you know, it's, it's big and there are, African-American people who have managed to break through in the country music industry in America over the last number of years, which is super. And hopefully this will just elevate them even higher. Okay. It is incredible as well. She's the first black female artist to reach the top of the Apple Music Country chart in history. Yeah, like so, which is nuts. Like when you think about it. Absolutely insane. There's... It's obviously it's one of those genres that is kind of protected. I put it in that little pocket of things about America that I do not understand. <laughs> and it is country music. And I'm going to add the Super Bowl in there now as well. Yeah. And just generally that's where it, where it lives. Cassie, sorry, I just had a thought. Imagine Beyonce and Dolly did something together. That I think is on the cards. I... Because they, they're so politically matched. Like imagine Beyonce and Dolly did something in the Grand Ole Opry. I would... Uh, you would die. You I would, would, you would, I, you would actually, I think you would combust into flames and be gone and we'd have to have a very <sighs> large and elaborate funeral on your behalf <laughs> with fireworks and maybe Dolly would come in and do a little bit. She'd have to, surely she'd have to. Yeah, yeah wow. Sorry, what a thought. That's really set me alight. Um, okay, let's move on. Marion Keys. I love oh my this. God so cute isn't it yes um so marion keys has a portrait unveiled at the national gallery of ireland um, the portrait of marion keys was painted by margaret corcoran um, she's an ncad graduate and a graduate of the chelsea school of art in london um so the it's just it's just really to commemorate marion and but it's a gorgeous beautiful it's gorgeous portrait of her it's, it's so just, beautiful it's Stunning. So um, Marion said, obviously, it was a surprise, a big honor, but she was bowled over by the finished portrait. She loves it. She loves the colors, the textures, the mood, the tiny details. It's so it's like to see obviously portraits incredible, but it really captures the essence yeah. of Marion. I say not knowing her, just obviously admiring her from a distance, but it gets that kind of little she's so cheeky and lovable mm. and just cute. And it, it you really get that sense. In, yeah in looking at the portrait so it's a yeah. beautiful piece of work well Absolutely. I am very lucky and I have 
I have spent some time with Marion and I mm. totally agree. It's gorgeous. I think even, you know, Marion is so stylish and um, even the dress that she's wearing is like exactly right. The hair is right. Just the energy, the color, the, the kind of, yeah. yeah, I love it so much. And I'm so glad she's That's happy. Because I would be terrified if someone was like, yeah, we're going to paint your portrait and put it in the National Gallery. I'd be like, oh my God, it's going to be hideous. Oh my uh, God. Imagine, if I'd be like, delete that. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Take it again. You'd Do be like, again. sorry, no, um, the lighting isn't right. But yeah. this is, uh, yeah. it's perfect oh and stunning. Do I look like that? Yeah, no, I <laughs> yeah. Would, I'd be so proud of that. But one. you'd have to just like go with it because you'd be like, look, this is art. This is art. This is art. Like you have to, yeah. you know, get over it. Um, finally, um, Rod Stewart called Ed Sheeran old ginger bollocks <laughs> yeah look Rod Stewart and I have that in common okay he called him an old ginger bollocks says he wasn't he's just not arsed with his music and um just doesn't like him doesn't get it essentially uh don't know any of his songs oh. uh, but he does like George Ezra yeah he, I think it's such a weird <laughs> like, I know but like you can understand like like you know Ed Sheeran I, his songs are pleasant but he's that He's just, I don't know, he's just like a little annoyance all the time in the I background. He's always there. do not see how you can like and rate George Ezra and be so against Ed Sheeran, like as Rod Stewart is. So basically what happened was mm. a journalist said to asked him if there were any young artists who are writing timeless songs. And he said, I like what's his name. He's British, really talented, and his songs will be around. The journalist said, Ed Sheeran? And he said, no, not Ed. I don't know any of his songs, old ginger bollocks, Jesus. <laughs> said no it's George Ezra I think he writes really tremendous songs he'll be around for quite a while but hang on he said he doesn't even know any of Ed Sheeran's songs come on Rod get it together oh he definitely does you can't you can't, you can't not know exactly not know Ed Sheeran's songs he's everywhere exactly he with, with that weirdly tiny guitar and singing stuff yeah and then yeah he's he's on every track and you know that is I mean, a fair play to me he's obviously he's 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 like the McDonald's of music. I Just there. I have to say, pleasant. there are lots of songs that I like. Um, lots of Ed Sheeran songs that I like. I wouldn't be. I do like George Ezra though. Worshipping a lovely tone to his voice. Well, my children love George Ezra. He bewitches them. So I, I don't know. Any parent who's listening is like, I like will agree. He puts something in his music. I don't know what it is that hypnotizes children. They just love it. It's it's ma like magic. It's wild. Mm. Um, anywho, Cassie, thank you so much. Uh, you can go and listen to Cassie on The Creep Dive if you want to hear her with Jen O'Dwyer and Sophie White. Where else can people find you, Cass? Um, I am all over the internet at Cassie Lorraine. Um, but yeah, the creep life is mainly where I'm at. Unless you have small children, in which case you can listen to the big kid quiz every Saturday morning on RT Juniors. Well, there you go. We never plug that. Good idea. Okay, yeah. have a good one. It's just about time for me to go. But before I do, I have one or two recommendations for you. The first is I have been re-watching Girls and I am enjoying it so much. Like I loved when I watched it as someone in my 20s, but watching it as an older woman with like a different perspective is 
I think possibly even better. So I'm streaming it. Uh, it's on Sky. So I have Sky Glass. So I just watch it there. But it is available in other places on the internet. And I just have to say, I am enjoying it so much. So if you've been looking for something kind of easy to pop on, you know, in the background or whatever, or if you have a little pocket half an hour here or there, I would highly recommend revisiting Girls or visiting it for the first time if you never watched it. It's so brilliant. And then the other thing I want to recommend this or this week, excuse me, is an article written by Emma Debiri in the Guardian. Emma Debiri, obviously brilliant Irish writer and academic. She is just so smart. I would listen to her talk about literally anything. But she wrote a brilliant piece this week, um, the headline of which is False Prophets Are Peddling Conspiracy Theories About Ireland's History. Here's the truth. It is brilliant. It really gets down to the root of where so much far-right stuff is coming from and the, the problems that we have, I suppose, culturally around race and um, class. And I think it is well, well, well worth your read if you missed it this week um as i said it's from the guardian i will link it in the show notes okay my friends i think that is it for me i hope that you are well i would like to hope that you have a good weekend but if you don't that's okay they can't all be good as i always say i'm gonna be back with you on monday which i'm so excited about i'm really excited to be talking to you um, a few times a week rather than waiting a whole week thank you so much to acast and to all of my brilliant contributors i will talk to you on monday have a great weekend Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.